Uh, we have started this idea, and it stems from Louis Giglio and a sermon series on Right Now Media. In fact, Kara, one of our staffers, was able to call his church and get some graphics and let them know that we're going through this. And so this is something that's affected me as a leader, and I felt like this would be good for all of us to go through this fall. And it's called People of the Fine Print. And here, here's the premise. If you haven't written it down, read it, write it down. We're going to talk about it week after week. The main idea of this whole thing is that the church is not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. That's the premise of the series. I'm going to say that one more time. The church is not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. And what I told you last week is there is a star to the script, and that star is Jesus Christ, always has been. He, he's the first and the last, he's the beginning and the end, he's the alpha and he's the omega, and we were never designed to be the star, and where that butts its head in culture around us is if you were a product specifically of the 80s and 90s self-esteem generation, you were told something. That to me seems like yesterday, but I'm realizing as the bald spot on the back of my head's getting bigger, that I actually can speak to this with some integrity where... I'm getting older myself, and I grew up in a way, like all of us did, that, that had some good things in the ideology that was taught to them, and then some bad things. And so then you have to then contrast that with what Scripture actually says, and what I've been told, and this is a shocker because this isn't your story, what I've been told now in my 40s, I realize is there were some things I was told that was wrong. I was told I was a little too great, I was a little too big of a deal, and I was conditioned by my school counselors and dare officers to believe some things that weren't entirely accurate. Can you relate to that? You're like, no, everything they said about me was true, okay? That's not my story. I, I came to realize that. I told you last week how that works is you're raising teenagers, and you get to realize that there's this huge drop-off in their life because they are raised to think that they are a big deal, and then you get older and you realize you're not. We talked about football and Friday Night Lights and homecoming and how depression rates soar in college, and Mike would know that statistic as well. It's one of the highest rates of depression in all of life is college, and I would just kind of theorize that one of the reasons why is you are built to believe something that can't maintain, that you somehow are the star of your script, and the gospel comes along and it liberates you from that and understanding that Jesus is a star, and that's a good thing, and that you're a role player in the narrative. Louis Giglio talks about two principles I want to just throw out to you real quick as we get started. He says that the kingdom of God is built on visibility and viability, that there are a few people in the pages of Scripture, like Paul, like Peter, the apostles, that they, they, their name gets made much of in a sense, and that there's always usually a figurehead to, to any organization, whether it be a school, whether it be a university, you know, coaches, et cetera, or churches, there's usually a pastor that gets up and talks a little more maybe than the other pastors on staff that casts the vision, and these people have to be careful because they can border on narcissism, not me, of course, but everyone else that's in leadership, that you have to be careful, but that's just a real thing, and that's been going on all throughout history, that there are people that are visible. Those people are the minority. But the kingdom of God, Giglio says this, is built on visibility and viability, and the people of the fine print are what make it viable. So a few people are elevated where their name is recognized, and then everyone else is working behind the scenes, but without everyone else working behind the scenes, you might have something, you might have like a crusade come to town, or a famous person that you've heard of come and sing or speak or anything like that, but there's no viability to it without the people that come around it, and that's all of us. 
That's all of us. And so we have visibility and we have viability. And he, he relates it like this. I thought this was a good enough analogy. I wanted to bring it to you as we get started. He, he, he relates it to having a surgery. So the idea is you go to the doctor, you find out that your arteries are clogged, that if you don't do anything about it, then your time is sick, quickly going to come to an end. And so you realize that that was not what you want. And so you decide to have heart valve replacement. And so when you decide to have heart valve replacement, who do you want to go to? There's a lot of us in here. We should be able to talk openly. Okay, you should be able to say something. No one's even going to know you said it because we won't know where it came from in the room. Who do you want to do a heart surgery on you? Right? Not the, not the janitor at the hospital. Probably a great guy or a great girl, but not going to be your first go-around. You don't even want the nurse to do the surgery. You, you want a specific person that is visible. Right? You, you don't call your insurance salesman to have them come perform the operation on your heart unless you, you know, have a few screws loose in your head. That's not what you're going to do. But once you have that visibility of the heart surgeon, you then sign up for the surgery, figure out how you're going to pay for it, and then there is a team of people that come around that physician or that surgeon to make that surgery viable. Right? Then you have people that have to clean the hospital, that have to cook the food in the hospital, that have to change the IV bags and give, administer certain medications, all sorts of people. You have your, your people that do x-rays, etc. I mean, you get the point, right? You have the visibility of the one and then the viability of all. And that's where the people of the fine print, that's where all of us come together. And so when you are visible, here's one thing that's going to destroy you, just a quick leadership side note. If you're not visible with humility, you're going to get destroyed. It will wreck you. So the goal is visibility and viability. So here we go. Someone that is creating this viability, her name is Tabitha. She also has a name before Tabitha. It is a very fancy name. It's called Dorcas. Anyone ever use that name in slang? Like, hey, Dorcas, like, that's actually a biblical name. So here we go. Now there was in Joppa, verse 36 of chapter 9 of Acts, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means, can we say it together? One, two, three, Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. That's what she was known for. Her name actually translates into something, and it's gazelle. We don't know exactly what that means, if that's literal, if she was someone who was, you know, athletic and beautiful. Her name is only mentioned twice in the narrative of Scripture. It's very brief. And more than what she looked like, because honestly we just don't know, is what she's known for, for that beauty that is more than skin deep. And what she's known for, verse 36, is this. She was full of good works, and she was known for her charity. Specifically, she was known for helping the poor. She was known for consistently doing the right thing in loving God and loving people. And so she consistently had this narrative about her in her life as a person of the fine print. And so here's how the story unfolds. She's going to die, but she's not going to stay dead. Verse 37 in those days she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room, um, an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. But Peter's not far off, verse 39. Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. 
And all the widows stood beside him weeping. That's important. We're going to come back to that. In my notes, I wrote down windows. It's widows, okay? All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. Peter is now emboldened by the Holy Spirit working in his life. He says, everyone needs to get out. Something's about to happen. Verse 40, Peter put them all outside and knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. This must have been a moment, right? This is a moment in Peter's ministry. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known. It didn't, it didn't stay hidden. It became known all throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So what do we know about Tabitha? We know that she's adored by the women around who, her, her who are widows. We know that she's loving. We know that she's sacrificial. And then depending on the commentary you read, you'll find that she was probably a widow herself. And so it's one of those deals where it takes one to know one. She has a special heart for people that she can relate to in a special way. And then what we know about her is when she's loving people, she's specifically loving a very uh, specific type of people in the community around her, other widows. What we know about her is that she's a seamstress and she has some resources in order to provide uh, these, these outfits that she's providing for the widows around her. And so in the midst of her tragedy, Peter comes to this room and widows are crying. They miss her. They love her. She has character. She has integrity. She has compassion for them. And they start laying, they start laying at Peter's feet these things that she's made them. And so he's recognizing this. This person that covered them is now dead. And Tabitha had been changing people's lives through this ministry that God gave her. And Peter says, uh, Tabitha, stand up. But here, here's what we need to know. This is interesting. Write it down. I just think if you like a few fun facts, here's a few fun facts before we apply this thing. Number one, we know that she's the first Greek Christian female mentioned in the Bible. This is important. The Jews saw the story when they got saved of Christianity, specifically Peter himself, through the lens of, and Jesus talked about this, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. They saw it through that lens that Jesus actually came for the Jewish people, and we see in Scripture that this whole gospel narrative blows up, which is why we've heard it and why we've been transformed by it, because of people in the early church who heard the voice of God, and then the gospel goes forward, and she is the first. If you are a woman in church who is not Jewish, she is someone that matters to you. And that pretty much represents every woman in church this morning. She matters to Christ. She matters to us. In this sense, she's a spiritual mother to the church. She is the first Christian female who's Greek, who's not Jewish. And the application is this. The church has never been about a huddle. The church has always been about hearing the gospel, responding to it. The church has never been a place. It's always been a people. And it's a growing movement. It's a living organism. And she starts the ball rolling in that sense. So there's a little mark on her life based on that. Here's a second thing. Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus. Underline that in the verses. She's a disciple, and what disciple means is someone who follows Jesus. And we'll get into this a little more in a different context, but being a follower of Christ is different than just believing information you have heard. 
You can memorize every scripture in the 66 books of the Bible and not be a follower or disciple of Christ, and the evidence of that is Satan himself. Satan knows the word better than we do. Of course, he's not saved. A disciple follows. A disciple obeys. A disciple picks up their cross. And if we want to get written in the fine print, we have to go beyond this idea of belief. And there's a question that's asked that's incomplete. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, you can believe in Jesus and not follow Jesus. And Tabitha puts this on display by showing us what it looks like to actually follow Christ and love the local church. This idea of the gospel is that everyone matters to Christ and Jesus came in the margins and he cared for the margins and that's what she did. And so she's following her leader. She's a disciple of Jesus. She puts dignity on people that have no dignity and she has a special ministry. Here's another one. Tabitha's story was a cause for salvation all over the city. This is the, the, the catalyst for great change. People know of her, people know what she's about, and now things are happening as a result of this resurrection. And here's where I'm going today, here's where we're gonna apply this. This is why, in my opinion, she makes the narrative of people in the fine print. The next thing that I want you to see is this. Tabitha led from a place of kindness. She had a leadership capacity in her life with the other widows around her. And she led from a position of kindness. That doesn't mean, and I want to expand on that, that sometimes she was nice. This is, look at me when I tell you this, this is what she's known for. In essence, this is what she's all about. This is what marks her life. And if this is you, there's a reason why people love you. There's a reason that people are drawn to you. There's a reason that people listen to you. There is a reason that people seek refuge, in a sense, from you. Because you have this ministry in your own life. But, right, there's always the other side of the story, like Paul Harvey says. And now, if you're a certain age, you got that. The rest of the story. Any boomers in church? Now the rest of the story, if you don't have this position of kindness, there's also a reason that people are repelled by you. Tabitha wasn't just kind. She had a ministry of kindness, She saw a need, she filled a need. She saw that widows were outside looking in. The worst part about being a widow, besides the fact that you had no social security, no retirement, no resources, the worst part about being a widow in a small town, when it was considered that somehow you sinned against God if you couldn't have children or if you lost your husband, there was all sorts of superstitions in the culture around them related to that. The worst part is everyone knew your business. You're a widow, this is the worst part. Everyone knows you're a widow. It's just small town stuff. People know people. You did nothing wrong, but you've been seen as nothing. So Tabitha comes in. She starts restoring dignity. She starts giving them items of clothing to where they look like the other people around them, although they didn't have the resources to have these things for themselves. And so people would see them if they didn't have something like Tabitha in their life, and they would know that they were different, that they could not afford certain things. And so Tabitha starts restoring that dignity and saying, here, this is what people are wearing. You're beautiful too. Just because you're a widow doesn't mean that you cannot go out into the town square and have these certain possessions in your life. It wasn't elaborate. It was just a simple cloak. It was just a simple thing. But here, this one's on me. Most likely she was a widow, we don't know for sure, but she's saying, I know what this feels like and I have this ministry. 
how many of us would be honored to be known for at our funeral as having not just kind acts in our life, but a ministry of kindness? I know that guys and, and females can both possess certain qualities, but can we just be honest and put our defenses down and this isn't sexist to say this, I think it's honoring to women, that although men and women can both be kind, one of, one of the things about Mike, he's downtown now, uh, and he's in leadership at Northern, he, you know, he, he's kind of a big deal, right? But he's humble, and he's so kind. He's so kind, if you know Mike. That's what drew me to him. But just to be fair, I mean, you can nod your head if you think you agree with this, this tends to be a, a gift that a lot of women possess. This is a beautiful part about women, just that, that kind heart. This is something that matters. And so the ministry of kindness, let's write this down. I want to now take this, this idea and apply it to the church in hopes that it transforms how we operate. And I just want to try to fill in a few dots here. Number one, these are my thoughts now. This isn't from a sermon series. These are things that I have actually written down over the last five years because I think kindness matters. Number one, let's start with this. Kindness is not... Kindness is not, write it down, are you ready? Kindness is not normal. It's not normal in that there are billions of living case studies to prove my point throughout history that have exposed a kindness deficit in our culture, in all cultures. Sin, nature is real, the data is overwhelming, 2,000 years later, the Bible is still the bestseller every year. Jesus' life was not normal. Kindness is not normal for us. Everything he did was counterintuitive. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. And when he says to love your enemy, and he lives out these radical concepts, when he goes to the marginalized and the least of these, and he gives them dignity, he's doing something that we remember primarily because it's not something that we normally do. Kindness is not Normal, when the Holy Spirit takes over, our lives change. Kindness is not, fill this in, kindness is not selective, and this is gonna get personal. Kindness is not selective. Jesus did not display selective kindness, and that kind of kindness is not normal. So when we have a kindness deficit in our lives, there is, this, I just want to get really specific. There, there's different ways to look at this. So who in here has ever met somebody that's not kind? That's right next to you right now. <laughs> there's different kinds. Anne's always nice to me. There's different ways this plays out. There, there is the way that we tend to think of it and then there's real life. Here, here's how we tend to think of it. The jerk through the McDonald's drive-through, right? We've, we've met that person. We, if anyone's ever worked in food or waited tables, every so often you'll come across a person who's just an absolute jerk, amen? If you said amen to that, you're like, what? why would you say amen to that? There's just certain people that are like, man, if we could just, they're like mosquitoes. If we could just get rid of that population, we would be so much happier in our day-to-day -day lives. And so we look at it like, well, we need to be kind and we need to be loving. And we look at people like that and we go, the goal is to not be like that. But here's what 42 years of life has taught me. That's not really the main problem. Because in my life, and I think in your life as well, who gets the brunt of your cutting and unkind behavior? 
Are it those people in the drive-thru when it takes a little too long to get your order right? Now, I know some of you have personality issues where that's your thing and you need to repent, but in the Midwest or in Minnesota nice, that's not usually most of our narratives. We'll act nice to them and we'll say bad things as soon as we pull out, right? I mean, that's not how it usually works. The brunt of my cutting behavior usually takes place with the people that I love and trust the most. Those people that I've deemed safe not to leave me when I show them my true colors that are shining through. I I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me. Those people that I have allowed to be an emotional punching bag in my life, who when I am not serving Christ like I should, or having an affection for him that's transforming my everyday behavior like I should have become this emotional punching bag and that becomes exhausting in their life. And so I had this thought, it seems like a common topic, it seems like what do you really say about kindness Well, people don't fall asleep and look for the football game after church? I, I think I have something that I want you to write down, although I know that this is a common sense type of sermon. I think there's a reason that you're not kind. And until you address the reason, you're going to live with the problem. All right, so the surface, this, this is what I proposed to you today, and I want you to write it down. This is what I thought of last night. What is scarier than your kindness deficit, write it down, is what is driving the reason that you are not kind. What is scarier than your kindness deficit is what is driving the reason that you're not kind. And so, and so, Here's where I'm going with this. There are reasons. Kindness is the manifestation or lack thereof, but there are other things going on in your life that if you don't address, you'll never really understand why you're not kind, and history will continue to repeat itself in the definition of insanity. Are you tracking? Same thing, different result. That's how that works. But let me just propose a few things that are happening. Reasons you're not kind. Not not the act of being unkind, but the reasons you're not kind. There are things that God needs to expose in my heart and your heart. Jealousy. Emotional problems. Jealous people tend not to be kind with people they trust the most. Along that same vein, insecurity. Insecure people tend to be fairly cruel to people that they trust. Here's another one. Maybe you wouldn't even think of this one, but I'm telling you it's true. Depression rates are linked to unkind behavior. Anxiety is linked to unkind behavior. Personality problems, selfishness, selfish people are naturally, that's more common sense, right? Selfish people are naturally more unkind. Arrogant people, shocker, tend to be unkind. Prideful people tend to be unkind. And so which one is it for you? Which one is it for me? How many of us can actually have the authenticity to say, if I was to write all these down, it looks more like a multiple choice test. It's kind of D, all of the above, at different points in my life narrative. But I'm going to say that one more time. If you want to actually change this behavior and bring it before the Lord, what is scarier than your kindness deficit is what is driving the reason that you're not kind. And if you don't deal with that, you're not going to fix the problem. The bigger spiritual reason is sin that has not been addressed in your life. Kindness is not normal, and it's not selective. Here's another one. Kindness is not always reciprocated. Kindness is not always reciprocated. In fact, I'll get to this in a second. I'll I'll hold steady. There have been studies on kindness. I told you this once before. This was six years ago I threw this data at you, but here it is. 
whether or not we thrive in our relationships, this is the research study on kindness, is far more related to how we treat other people than how we ourselves are treated. That's counterintuitive. Whether or not we thrive in our relationships is more connected to how we treat people than how we're treated. It's the variable that's controllable. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Have them do. Jesus is teaching us to be kind even when people don't deserve it, and that's the point. Kindness, write this down, is most powerful when it's not reciprocated. True? I mean, is, is it really that powerful? I know it's the right thing to do, but is it that powerful when, when grandma makes you that, that pie for Thanksgiving and you say, wow, grandma, you make the best pie ever. Wow, grandma, you're so great. And she says, you're so great. We're all so great. We have the best family ever. I mean, that's not that that's not kind, but is there power in that? That's just, grandma makes you a pie. I didn't plan on using this analogy. I'll just keep running with it. But duh. Jesus shows his power when it's not reciprocated. He was kind to the foot washer, which is kind of common sense. Someone washes his feet, he loves them. But he was kind to religious, judgmental, hypocritical Pharisees at different points in his ministry. He engaged them as well. And they wanted him dead. And that's when the power is put on display. Kindness is most powerful when it's implemented on those who are not kind. And it's counterintuitive, but look at me tell you this, and that's the point. Because that's the power. It's not always reciprocated. It's most powerful when it's not reciprocated. And if you want to ensure that you can live in an emotional and spiritual prison, then just wait to be kind to people once all of your needs have been met by them. Just wait for that narrative in your life. Giving others the power over you to dictate when you choose to obey God will always leave you in a spiritual prison. Kindness is not always reciprocated. What is what reciprocated? Kindness is, here's the second one, genuinely concerned about the well-being of others. Without giving you any detail, because it would be a breach of confidentiality, I was in a counseling session one time with, you know, Jim, Bob, or Harry, or something. I don't even remember, honestly, who it was, because there's been a lot of them. And I know this is shocking, but they were having marital conflict, and I know you never have, but they did. And one of the challenges was, what does it look like for the next two months when you're working with me every week, which I can't really do that with people anymore, but this was a different season of ministry when I was more engaged in that way. What would it look like to just simply be kind, even though you don't feel like it? And of course, right, not to be stereotypical, but of course, the man says this. The man's like, he's been quiet for about 20 minutes, and she's been talking, and then he has a light bulb moment that we all need to hear in the room, and he says, well, what if it feels fake? It's like, it's like an epiphany. So he says, what if it feels fake, and, and I don't feel like being kind, but I'm actually acting kind, and I just simply replied, what if you were actually genuinely concerned about the well-being of the person that you're not being kind to, and even if they don't deserve it, it's just being rooted in this idea that you do love them, and so you're gonna treat them in a certain way. Kindness is genuinely concerned about the well-being other, with others, and that's the point. This is one of the massive divides. You look at this lady in scripture, and she puts the gospel on display in such a beautiful way. This is a massive divide between Christians and non-Christians. This is a repellent for people that choose not to believe. There's this sad reality that, that people can be cruel inside the church. That people can be so pharisaical. And I'm not saying we're, we're exempt, but I am telling you this. I, this is 17 years in. I, I cut my teeth in this place. 
I, I, I weighed less. I had all my hair when I started coming here. You guys have stressed me out over the years. I'm getting older, right? But, but I can tell you this. This is one of the most kind places on the planet. And uh, praise God, right? Are you awake? Praise God. You're like, well, I actually go to a church that... It's not full of a bunch of jerks. There, I mean, there's a few, right? But, but not everyone, right? There's a lot of kind, loving people, and it marks this church. When you get to know it, you're going to find some of the kindest people on the planet. Kindness is genuinely concerned about the well-being of others. And here, here's another one. We're going to start to wrap this thing up now. Kindness is more than a belief. There is this massive divide. I don't know if you paid attention to anything and had a pulse the last few years, but people don't always agree politically. Is that I mean, shocker, there's a massive divide on how to live out our lives in American culture right now, but there is something that can't be disputed because I think someone said facts don't have feelings, right? Kindness is more than a belief. We all have to kind of submit to that, that truth. There was a study done specifically on racial tension, and they found that over the last 50 years, for their part, white Americans have done everything possible to avoid contact with the average black American. And psychology today defined it like this, regardless of political affiliation, so you can just put down your swords and put down your guns, right, okay? Regardless of political affiliation, white Americans stay clear of living in black neighborhoods or sending their kids to black schools. That, that's not an opinion, that's a fact. And, and my point to that is this, that kindness has to be more than an ideology or more than a belief. It has to be rooted in changing behavior, where you're reaching across the aisle to somebody that you're choosing to love, and you're acting differently because Christ was first kind to you. It's more than just a belief. And here, here's the last thing before I just want to tell you a quick story. Kindness is a true test of spiritual maturity. If you want to know how close you are to Jesus, how kind are you? Like I said earlier, you can, you can know all the scriptures from Awanas or Gospel Project growing up. You can sing all the right hymns or all the right praise songs. You can know all the right hand gestures in church where you're looking around, you got one arm up because that's pretty spiritual, right? And you're looking around or you know, you're super spiritual so you're like this and, and you just kind of know how the game's played in evangelical circles and you can be far from the gospel. You can be far from Christ. Kindness is a true spiritual test and without kindness, Christ, your pride in your heart will take over as you gain more knowledge. It'll actually work against you. You gain more knowledge, you're not kind, you're not humble, you will actually be puffed up. Paul talks about this, and you'll be farther from Christ. Last thing, what kindness does. What does it look like? I can tell you one thing, it absolutely transforms relationships. I told you last week, I'm going to try to bring people before you that go to new life that I've known over the years we might have to flip around in the notes a little bit and just close this thing out. There, there's this guy. I want to show you a picture of him. A few of you will know him. He's been going here forever. Maybe a lot of you know him. You get that picture of Gabe? He has no idea I'm doing this. He's out of, he's out of town. That is not what Gabe looks like. But I thought, let's be nice to Gabe. Rachel still looks the same. Gabe looks way older. This is what Gabe looks like now. That was Gabe when I first probably met him forever ago, maybe a little before that even. Um, that's the real Gabe Bruns. Let, let me tell you about Gabe Bruns. He's one of my close friends. He is an ally and partner in the basketball ministry that I've been delusional about in the last 21 years in Aberdeen. And he doesn't look like much, right? He, he's not as tall as young Greg, 
But Gabe has a special gifting. Before we get to the spiritual, Gabe can run circles around anybody. He is literally the energizer bunny. He is the guy that always passes you the ball and thus my best friend. He never complains. He's the Dennis Shorter version of Rodman. And the thing about Gabe is he is so kind, it's ridiculous. If you don't know, if you come up here, this is how I know you are off. If you were to come to me and say, you may think that, but I know something about Gabe, I'd say, get, no, get out of here. You, you literally are just divisive. Gabe is the nicest person on the planet. I've known him for a long time, I'm telling you. This guy will help you with any house project that you don't know how to do when you're incompetent as a man. Right? That, that's his gift for me over the years. Gabe is always thoughtful. Gabe will say, hey, why don't you come over to my house for lunch? I'm making tri-tip. We'll just hang out. We'll shoot around. He has this mini court in his basement that are his kids, this Michael Jordan court. We'll shoot around, talk, philosophize about life. Uh, Greg was with us a couple weeks ago when we did that. And, and I want to bring him before you. He's 43 years old. He graduated from the metropolis of Hecla, North Dakota. Anyone know where that's at? That was a test. <laughs> I've joked around about Nazareth. I think Hecla literally is Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Hecla except for Gabe Bruns. And Gabe transforms relationships that he engages. Let me, let me show you an example. He, he, I know this sounds like, why would you do this? But it's me. I'm going to share something personal he wrote to me that he doesn't know I'm going to share, but I promise you, I'm close to him. He won't care. He sends me this verse that connects to the ending of this message. And he says that he heard it in 2001. He says, boldly, the Bible says, boldly and without a hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Gabe texts me yesterday as he's on his Boy Scout deal with his kids. He says, flipping through my Bible in my truck yesterday, I highlighted the last verse in Acts sometime around 2001 during a during one of Pastor Gary's sermons at First Assembly. Pastor Gary's gone on to be with Jesus since. He talked about how great it would be if your life was summed up by that statement. As far as mortal men go, he was a good example of it, dot, dot, dot. Still gets me choked up a little bit thinking about it. And then he says this, and I, I think he's not kissing up. I, I think he means it. He says, I hate missing you preach in person, but go do your best. We never know when it could be the last day someone makes the most important decision of their life. I need to be a better ambassador and recognize and act when God gives me opportunity and am inspired to do so by people God has put in my life, uh, like Gary and several men in our church. I love you and all of our pastors. You guys are awesome at what you do. I'll be listening online, so you better bring it. I'll see you at the farm tonight. That's called kindness. He's just a great guy that loves Jesus. Gabe is the textbook, people in the fine print. You do not have to be the most specialized, gifted person on the planet to do that. Kindness transforms relationships. Kindness builds trust in relationships. And here's, here's the last very last, I promise I'm walking off this stage. Kindness does all of that, but it opens up doors. It opens up doors. Guy works for the railroad. Do you think people want to hang out with him? Sure. Want to play on a city league team? Want to go to lunch with them? Want to hang out? I mean, he's just a great guy. 
And it's rooted in Christ changing his heart over 20 years ago. Tabitha, people want to be around her, opens up doors. She dies, people take notice. She raises from dead, everyone takes notice. From death, everyone takes notice. But she does all of that and she's leveraged because people know her because she's kind. And I just want to present that to you. We're going to close in prayer. Is that what marks your life? And hear me say this, because you could be coming into this space from a different walk of life. Maybe you come in here and you're thinking, I'm just going to be kind. Don't get the cart before the horse. You are kind because Christ was first kind to you. You are kind because Christ has saved you and redeemed you. And from that salvation, you are acting and behaving differently. Christ was kind first. Christ transforms his relationship with you through the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Christ builds trust with you. And Christ has opened up doors with you so that you can be a catalyst for change in pronouncing his salvation over your life. Are you kind as a person in the five print? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We love you. God, we, we lift up the farm to you tonight that it would be a time where we just come together, nothing, nothing real specific. We, ju- we just hang out and sing worship songs, spend a little time in prayer together. But God, that there would be a culture of kindness that continues to manifest at this place called New Life. We thank you for the ultimate act of kindness that was displayed on the cross so that we could spend an eternity with you instead of an eternity apart from you in hell. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.